You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Philip Hironic to the line for Carson Susi. Drives the puck to the net. He scores! I want the puck. <laughs> Give me the puck. Smith, screen. Jackson, Smith, and Jacob looking for the lead and redemption for the Seahawk offense. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today, we are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by EverythingFinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Classic Monday fall sports radio here. A million things to get into. So much happened over the weekend. Our guest list begins at 6.30 with David Amber. Hockey Night in Canada, NHL host. We'll talk to him about all the major stories from the rink over the weekend, including the Heritage Classic on Sunday between the Oilers and the Sad Sack Flames. Feels good to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Amber at 6.30, 7.30. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, is going to join us. I love that you wrote that every Seattle Seahawks football game is an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, it, it is. really is. It, it really is. It is up and down. There's anger. And hopefully at the end of it, there's jubilation. And that's what there was at the little, end little of sprinkling of fear game. midway through. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 7.30, Mike Tanier, our NFL insider, is going to join us to talk about that and everything else going on in the National Football League. There is a full-blown quarterback crisis in the NFL. We will talk to Mike about it at 7.30. 8 o'clock. Kevin Woodley, NHL.com and InGoal Magazine is going to join us. We're just going to complain about refereeing for 25, 27 minutes with Kev. Mm, At least I'm going to anyway. That's all I'm going to do. We're not going to talk about goaltending. We're not going to talk about the rest of the NHL. Just refereeing. That's at 8 o'clock. Kevin Woodley, NHL.com and InGoal Magazine. We are giving away tickets on today's show to see Kiss. Kiss, Jason. Kiss? So, so far. And all week, I should say. We've given away tickets to see ZZ Top. Right? Uh-huh. We've seen tickets, giveaway tickets for Guns N' Roses mm-hmm. and Kiss. I feel like they've really hammered the age demographic of our show. Well, Kiss was before my time. Not much. Not much, but <laughs> it was, well, <laughs> not yeah, much. They, they span well, generations. Yeah. yeah, they're still going now, apparently. We're giving right. away tickets. But they were the biggest in the 70s, right? That's when. That was kind of the wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah but the most merchandised band of all time, too. That's kind of their. Their thing. Mm-hmm. Can, so if you, you want to, you can buy you, Kiss anything pretty much. Laddie dresses up as a, a, a member of Kiss every Halloween. It's true. Yeah. It's, and it's Saturdays, a lot of, it's a lot of makeup. <laughs> so they are playing Wednesday, November 8th at Rogers Arena every day this week. We're going to be giving away a pair of tickets. We're going to give them away to the best what we learned. So get them in. You can do it now. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650 650. Hashtag it WWL and add a ticket emoji into your text to be entered into the grand prize contest to see Kiss on Wednesday, November 8th at Rogers Arena. Okay. Uh, working in reverse. 8 o'clock, Kevin Woodley. 7.30, Mike Tannier. 6.30, David Amber. That's the show. That's what's happening. 
Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. K. Andre Miller scored a controversial winner at 348 of overtime on Saturday night to give the New York Rangers an unjust 4-3 victory over the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena. I will now cede the floor because if I just keep going, I'm just going to complain about refereeing for the next 20 minutes. Well, you know, my takeaway was I was there in the arena and it was a fantastically entertaining game Saturday night. And even though it was a loss, the performance by the Canucks only added to the excitement of the Canucks start to the season. And look, the refs blew it. I was wasted, and I could see that the refs... He was wasted! PD got tripped in overtime, uh, and they didn't call it. But for me, the blown call, as funny as this may may sound, wasn't even the main takeaway. The main takeaway was that Canucks fans really, really cared about the blown call. And the blown call mattered. It was like old times. The refs made a bad call. Ron McLean stuck up for the refs after the game... You know, I'm like, is this 2011 again? Are we are we back in uh, like this area where Canucks fans are getting screwed over, and probably the Eastern media is like, ah, these Canucks fans are always complaining. I had to I had to coach hockey Sunday morning, and let me tell you, I was feeling fantastic. I bet. But everyone at the rink was talking about the game. They were talking about the yeah, Canucks yeah, game, and they were point. like, what a terrific game! And like those refs, they blew it. Hasn't been like this for a while, and I just want everyone to think of how this team has played since that disappointing effort in Philly. Yes, they lost their next game in Tampa Bay, but they played a lot better. Then they got a little bit better again, and they beat Florida. Then they got a little bit better again, and they beat Nashville. In fact, they suffocated Nashville. Mm -hmm. Then they came home and absolutely dominated St. Louis. Then the very next night, they got a rested Rangers team, and they played well enough to win, except the ref screwed them in overtime. Also, admittedly, a very good Rangers team. I think they're a very talented team. Yeah. There's a reason they're first in their division. There's a reason they kind of walked through that road trip, and after their perspective. They're and after good. the game, head coach Rick Tockett, um, you know, he didn't want to get fined for, for complaining about the refs. He kind of stuck up for the refs himself. He said, look, it's a hard game, et cetera. It's a hard game to everyone makes mistakes. But just by saying, like, everyone makes mistakes, he's like, they made some mistakes out there. But do we have talk it on how proud he was of this Canucks team? Uh, because it really has been a good run for them. And I think everyone in the city, uh, maybe some of the fans that had checked out for a little while, they're like, oh, wait a minute. Should I, should I be watching the Canucks again? Ellick has been good all year. They had two five-on-threes, and they're, they're a great team. I don't care about that. I'm proud of our team. They played their balls off today. And uh, long road trip, come back, beat St. Louis. I thought we deserved better tonight. We, we gave nothing other than the, the two five-on-threes. So uh, I hope the guys take a nice, relaxing day to us. They deserve it. So the three goal scorers for the Canucks were J.T. Miller. Okay. Yep. Tyler Myers, really? Uh-huh. Wow, good for him. Shorthanded. And Carson Soucy. 
<laughs> Just like With we drew another it out. goal. Just like we drew um, it. Philip Hronik had a pair of assists and was named second star. Uh, the usual suspects played well, but you know, Petey had I think a point. Um, Quinn Hughes played a lot. Uh, and Casey DeSmith in goal, even though he allowed four goals, I thought he was fine. I thought he was good. Oh, yeah. Made some great saves. Two five-on-threes. You're not hanging any of that on him. Um, next up for the Canucks, and people are actually like, wow, what is next up for the Canucks? When's their next game? That was amazing. Well, Sunday was a much-deserved day off. I imagine they'll practice today. And then on Halloween, tomorrow night, the Nashville Predators are in town. Um, I suppose Nashville is going to be motivated after the Canucks went into Nashville and beat them. So hopefully the Canucks are prepared for a team that's going to have maybe a little bit more motivation than you would normally expect of a road team coming into Vancouver on a Tuesday night. Thursday, they go down to play San Jose, and they better not lose that one because it might be the only game San Jose wins all season if it is. And then they come right back home for a game Saturday against Dallas. And then Edmonton... Speaking of a team wanting revenge, we'll be in town next Monday. Get a chance to complete or continue the season sweep of the Oilers. Okay, where do we want to go here to start? Well, I think, why don't, well, why, I was why there don't as you complain well. about the refing? Yeah, why don't I'm you fine. complain about the refing? You're, you're, you're actually our designated referee complainer. Yep. Um, you know, A-Dog, you were there. You, I'm sure you enjoyed the well, game, I just enjoyed wanted, the atmosphere. I, I quickly wanted to say what, agree with what you are saying. That was the angriest I've been at a Canucks game in a long time, like I was just so yeah. livid at the refs, and but like I was angry the next morning. At, I was like, "This feels amazing." I know, but at the same time, I was having like this conflict of emotions where I was super angry, but at the same time, I was like, "I haven't felt like this in ages." Yeah. Like I actually care about this team and what's happening to them, mm-hmm. and that just shows you how well. And can I also say, like, Shesterkin, man, he is so freaking yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Like that insane move that it was an incredible dangle that uh, Kuzmenko pulled off. Mm-hmm. Like this sick move, and I was like, "Okay, this is a goal." Shesterkin just. Absolutely robbed him. It was an incredible play. Like if it was that sick, back. he would have scored. Andy. No, yeah, no, oh. noted Canucks hater and goalie enthusiast Greg Ballack decided to weigh in <laughs> for the first and only time during the game on Saturday night when Shesterkin made his double save in oh, overtime. So good, it was such I'm a like, good save. That's the thing that drew a reaction from Lyle. Yeah, yeah. just want that. Out. But no, I just got to say because it's the first time I've seen him in person. He is so good. Like yeah. he is such a good goaltender. It it was maddening. So Surrey Ryan texted in early six or sorry five fifty four. We weren't even on the air yet. He was on the ball. And here's the weird thing. There's a ticket emoji in his text before we said we were giving away kiss tickets. How about that, Surrey Ryan? Anyway, he writes, what we learned. It was genuinely nice being upset that the refs screwed the Canucks in OT against the Rangers instead of being upset that it was the Canucks screwing themselves. Yeah, I. that was an appointment viewing game. So let's just get this. Like I was out in quote-unquote mixed company. And in my world, that's just people that don't watch sports. That's the mix. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry. I got to do this. I have to put the game on at like a a social function. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the guys were like, sweet, good move. And I was like, it's for work. And then um, we sat down and I just, we were just glued to it. Even though the second period wasn't all that exciting. And I actually tweeted out, I'm like, I bet the third period is going to be the lowest of the low event hockey games. Shows how much I know the sport. Mm -hmm. Because the third period and overtime were filled with moments. But in that third period, you started to see game management 
creeping into the game. Oh, I thought you saw it the whole maybe even earlier, but the third right away it was like it was like even up, even up, even up, even up. I'm trying to give the referees some credit here for the first two periods where I thought it was just a fairly standard run of the mill hockey game. Did Mm -hmm. you not like the fact that the Rangers were getting handed five on threes? No, you didn't like it, but. The third, you started to see it happen. And then in overtime, the reason that they didn't call the penalty is because they didn't want to send anybody to the man advantage in overtime. Plain and simple, I, I clear also, as day. So I There's also, no way that the ref looked at that and said that's not a trip. The ref said that's wonder, a trip, but I'm not calling it in this situation. Okay. Uh, Tommy B texts in. Maybe no call because Pedersen goes down too easy too much. Possibly. Come Possibly. on, man. Hey, it might be. It it's be. a trip. Petey, Petey falls a lot. It's a tr- Even well, Petey admits that. Whatever the case is, the there's no way objectively that any referee looked at that and didn't think that it was a trip. They made the decision not to call a trip. Well, there was so, two, and those are two different things. There were a few Rangers fans chiming in online. I saw like I forget the play, but I think it might have been Pedersen that was they thought interfered with a guy that didn't get that didn't get called just moments before. So it was like a missed interference call. You could argue. I don't. I don't remember that. I don't see that. But I could. Maybe, but then there was also that that too many men call as well. Like what the hell the, was the that? Too many men call was I a was joke. Like, and I you was like see talking on the bench. Yeah, like yeah. mouthing this phantom too many yeah. men call. Just out of nowhere. Imagine imagine making that call while the team was short. But then Ridiculous. you don't. But then Ridiculous. you know what you you know what you have to do when you make a ticky tack call like that is you're the one that has to go and even it up. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just becomes this thing where it's like, well, where's the bar for a penalty? Mm-hmm. Is it? By the book, or is it by the the context and the standard that the refs well, have laid out? I, I I will give you this one thing. You I will give me more. I, <laughs> I guarantee you, when the Rangers went down the ice after Petey got tripped, the refs were like, "Please don't score." Yeah, please don't Keandre score. Miller, Ooh, that's a oh. nice pass. Oh, I'm gonna hear about this. Oh wait, I'm not gonna hear about it. But the reaction in the building was yeah what was like, the reaction the building like? I, I mean the reaction for me is i actually just like outright booed <laughs> like, oh I was yeah just like there was the ref, ref you suck chant yeah, it was bad it was it was it but like, you know what like guys a, yeah. guys listen listen uh the bad call happened um i oh, don't and, be this guy it's no, monday no, no. i'm tired i'm cranky i want to like hey, vent hey, and hey. no i will no, not no, no. move on no 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 <laughs> no no the, the bad call I will happened. not be the bigger person Okay, fine, but can you admit that this is awesome that we care about this again? Yes. Do you remember, like, there might have been some bad calls last year. I don't know. I didn't care. Honestly, think no, of last yeah. year if they think of last year if that had happened and it was like game seventy eight and we all knew the Canucks were like done. Dude, I haven't cared right? about a bad call in like a decade. No. Yeah, <laughs> I have not. I have not cared, and that's and that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing you can do about that bad call. There's nothing, you know, Halford, you can go and complain all day or you write a letter to Gary Bettman or whatever. You should. You know. I'm uh, penning it right now. Yeah. With my quill. Dear Mr. Stupid Commissioner, right? (laughs) You are a stupid Um, head. But my main takeaway from all this is, like, the Canucks are back. In terms of... So back, baby. In terms of this market carrying again, and I hope we're not getting suckered here. I hope they keep playing like this. Um, But it's... Again, like the reason I said, okay, think of how this team has performed since the Philadelphia game. Remember how we were feeling after the Philly game? We were like, okay, they beat Edmonton twice, but now we kind of look at that second win and it was kind of like, wow, they got outplayed by the Oilers. So like, is this is this the team? Like, is that, yeah, I was is feeling that the like, team? Uh-oh. Like, they were just so dead in Philly. And then even the next game, although they did play better, they still lost. So they were kind of two and two. And we were like, oh my God, right? You know, Petey's going to want out. Since that Philly loss, though, there has been dramatic improvement. And even though they lost the Rangers game, 
they once again won the five on five. And it came down to special teams at the end of the at the end of the day in that Rangers game because they scored a couple of five on three and you know, they probably deserved an over overtime penalty. But regardless, like mm-hmm. the team, the team looks the team looks good. Well, if you want, and, and, I, and, and, I, and I, this isn't house of positivity. This isn't me trying to like talk myself into this team. Are there still issues with this team? Yeah. There are. Good for Tyler Myers for bouncing back and having a good game and scoring that big goal. Uh, that, was a, that was a massive goal, and I was happy for him because I bet that felt really good mm-hmm. to score that goal, especially in that fashion Saturday night, shorthanded of all of all the, the ways that he was going to score that. But now we look forward to games as opposed to like, is there a Canucks game on tonight? Okay, yeah, I guess no. we have to watch this. Well, right? I go back to this little anecdote I passed along earlier that it was like, I have to put this game on Saturday. There were countless times over the last few seasons where that was not the case for a lot of games, never mind like the big ones, right? And you, you start to look, if you want to look at this in a different way and you were kind of running through the schedule and where the wobble was. If you want to flip it in a totally positive way, you could say that the Canucks have played eight games this year, and only once, only once in Philadelphia did you question the effort and the intensity yeah. and the drive and the desire. One in eight. And they quickly took care of that. Yeah. One in eight where, what is it, four of the, or sorry, three of the first eight are at home, so five are on the road. So it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot more challenging. There is something to the way that they're playing. I alluded to that second period against uh, the Rangers on Saturday night. But that second period to me felt like, and it was funny because Louis DeBrusque actually said he called it a chess match. Like there Mm -hmm. was not a lot at five on five either way, but the Canucks didn't bust into old habits and they didn't try to make too much happen. It's almost like they understood the flow of the game. And it's like, hey, there's going to be a lot of skating. It's going to be a lot of north-south. There's not going to be a lot to give, but just keep it going and don't, you know, try and do something crazy or don't come out of your boots to make a player. Don't do something that's not to the script. Well, Talkin was talking said when he took over this team, he's like, there's a lot of them. There's a lot to learn about game management. Right. And in fact, when he was a broadcaster at TBS, he was TNT. He was he was talking about how in general the league has gotten away a little bit from game management just because there had been so much scoring and you saw like all these leads being blown, not just by the Canucks, but just around the league. So this is one of these things that he has definitely come in preaching. You have to know what type of game you're in Mm -hmm. and you have to know your situation as well. The Rangers were the rested team. They were in Vancouver when the Canucks were playing the Blues. So the Canucks were playing the second of a back-to-back. Maybe they didn't have their legs. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe they had to play a little bit differently. Um, Speaking of good starts, and we, of course, have last season as to juxtapose the Canucks' awful start that not only buried them in the standings, but I just feel like what happened last season is they lost all confidence in whatever the game plan was under Bruce. Right, And I think this year, what's really important is that they're getting reinforcement from the way they are playing. They're getting wins. People are saying nice things about them. And that sort of thing can be contagious. Mm -hmm. What is going on with the Calgary Flames this season? Because they are a team that 
was supposed to be having fun this year. They fired Daryl Sutter. Ryan Huska is the new head coach, and boy, do I kind of feel bad for him right now because the Calgary Flames in outdoors against the Edmonton Oilers once again laid a huge egg. They were awful to start the game. Mm -hmm. They kind of had their moments as the game progressed, but ultimately the Oilers were deserving 5-2 winners. And I'm looking at this Calgary team right now, and if I was managing that team, all contract talks with anyone would be off Mm -hmm. because the last thing I'd want to do is lock in more players because there is something dramatically wrong with this team. Yep, and the two things I think that are most dramatically wrong are Jonathan Huberto, and Nazem Kadri. So after the game, and Jason mentioned a 5-2 win for Edmonton over Calgary in front of 55,000 people. That's a lot of people to watch you stink, Calgary. Uh, 55,411 people watch the Oilers beat the Flames 5-2. After the game, and this is the second time that this has happened in less than a week, Ryan Huska was asked specifically about his two highest paid forwards. That's going to be the, like, I know that there's a lot of issues in Calgary. There's a lot of problems with the team, but right now, the most obvious narrative is, one, that Huberto and Kadri are producing at a very low rate. And two, Ryan Husk is not happy with their play and is basically deploying them like a third line. They have no game breakers right now. No. None. There, there, there's nobody on this team that can show a flash of individual brilliance and kind of put the team on his back. Mm-hmm. Think of what they had in Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. Obviously, two very good dif- different players. Yeah, goals in scores, terms of game styles. Breakers. Yeah, but in terms of styles, they were they were different. But they also had these individual feats of brilliance. Mm-hmm. And right now, if you look at this Flames team, you're like, who's their guy? Who's their JT Miller? Who's their Petey? Who's their Quinn Hughes? They don't have one. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. Do we have the audio at the ready here, Greg, from Ryan Huska talking about uh, Huberto and Kadri? So this is. Him being asked once again about his two underperforming stars. And he actually talks about what you were talking about, about that you need game breakers. These guys are paid to be game breakers. They're very good players. They're just not doing it right now. Ryan Huska on the struggles of Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri. Uh, Ryan, you've had you've had Kadri, Huberto, and Coronado together and, and apart for a little bit this season. Just your assessment of that uh, line tonight for you. Um, I, I thought they were quiet tonight. That's the way I could say it. Yeah, I thought they were quiet. And, and th- th- I think Hubert and Kadri, their ice time has been reduced a little bit in recent games. Do you want to maybe see a little bit more of those two? Or? Um, well, I don't know if it's more. I mean, you, you look for everybody can be a difference maker in their own way. Like some guys are hard to play against. Some guys are, are like speedsters. Some guys are tenacious around the net. So understanding what makes them really good hockey players and then looking to be a difference maker is, is important. So that's something that we need from from those two guys for sure. They're key players for us, and they're very good players, and we need we need to see that consistently. David Amber from Hockey Night Canada is going to join us on the other side of the break. We'll talk to him about a variety of things, but we will begin uh, David's segment with what we're going to finish this segment with, and it was by far the saddest, tragic, and most devastating news of the weekend, and that was that American hockey player Adam Johnson, who had appeared in 13 NHL games for the Pittsburgh Penguins a few years ago, died on the ice in England after his neck was cut by a skate blade during a game on Saturday. Uh, It was during the second period of a game with Nottingham, his team, and the Sheffield Steelers. Uh, The team released, released a statement on Sunday morning confirming that Johnson had passed away during their game on Saturday 
The BBC reported that Johnson was taken to a local hospital in Sheffield shortly after receiving the neck and the skate cut. The game was suspended in the second period and did not resume. Fans in attendance were actually asked to leave the arena while Johnson was being treated for his injuries that he later succumbed to. Um, it's a it's a freak accident. I'm I'm kind of stammering over it because it was uh, it was hard to fathom. It was hard to watch unfold. Greg texted us in the group when the news sort of first happened, and we weren't really clear on the details and exactly what had transpired. But as more and more news and reports started to come in, you started to realize that you were in the midst of an unbelievable sporting tragedy. Um, I don't know what will come from this if the NHL will consider making neck guards mandatory or hockey will take a look at some protective equipment. But the reality of the situation is, is that regardless of whatever changes, if and do come from this incident, it's really important to remember that they're all going to be born out of a crazy, unimaginable tragedy. It's almost unfathomable to think that something like this can happen, even though everyone has the understanding that hockey is an incredibly dangerous sport. And it's littered with incredibly high risks given the speed and the type of equipment that the players use. So at the end of the day, Saturday was just a truly sad and gutting time for the sport and a sad day for the sport. Uh, Adam Johnson was 29 years old, and may he rest in peace. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Eight oh two on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Grubb, Sportsnet six fifty. How can it not be a happy Monday when this song is playing? Put a little pep in your step on a Monday. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Kevin Woodley, NHL.com and Ingle Magazine is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off Hour 3. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. To the phone lines we go. Kevin Woodley now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Kev. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Other than angry, I heard, I see, I saw a clip. Angry, upset calls. Jason. Yeah. No, not me. Not, no, me. not me. Not me. Not me. Health, Jason, health. Jason's excited that the fans are. But I gotta ask, because mm-hmm. from above, there's a lot of empty seats. Yeah, we talked about have that. We, we talked have about we fully that engaged yet, or is the market fully back, or is everybody still waiting to get hurt? I, I said if it's still real by December. I think they'll be back. I yeah. think. I'm using think very, very gratuitously here. It's expensive, here. man. People are not entirely comfortable financially. Oh, hey, listen, days, I'm not I'm not right? judging. Um, I, I fully get it. I'm just, I guess, a little bit surprised because, yeah, I mean, the home opener had a lot of empty seats, and, yeah. and the ones that weren't empty were filled by Oilers fans, and it was even emptier after they left while getting thumped. Um, and, 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 hey, I'll give you this one, too. Back-to-backs, Friday, Saturday. Sure. Um, Halloween party weekend, like, 
tough to sell tickets on both nights, but still a little surprised given the road trip, and I thought there'd be a little more momentum that way coming back. My theory is that the fans are staying away because the officiating is so horrible. You should add that to the pen you've quilled. (laughs) I mean, I get what everyone has to do in the aftermath. I get that Rick Tockett has to go to the podium and say that, you know, these guys have a tough job and it's an incredibly difficult sport to officiate. And I get that, you know, we didn't win or lose because of one play, even though they absolutely did. Um, I just look at this and I don't know if you heard the rant from earlier, but my biggest thing is if it is the toughest job in the world and it's an extremely difficult task to carry out, one, why not try and help these guys with more resources and more tools? And, and then two, why not have a level of accountability where we learn from our mistakes or when mistakes are made, we use those as teaching lessons moving forward. It seems like none of this is ever entertained by the NHL. The answer is always keep your yap shut, zip it, and move on to the next. Well, literally, and the coaches, um, from the coach's perspective, told to keep their yap shut, right? Like in, in very specific terms in, in, from a meeting in, in the summer. Um, you know what? You know what? Why I would have liked uh, explanations because we've had this discussion before. Other leagues have a pool reporter that go in and talk can can go in and talk to the, the officials on controversial calls. The reason I would have liked one the other night was because I <laughs> and and. Bear with me here. Don't don't string me up right away. Are we 150 percent sure that was a trip? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I mean, you yes. got to make a okay. call one way or the other. Laddie's shaking his head. Sure. You yeah, have, yeah. you have your goalie brethren on board. With well, I think Laddie called Petey a bit of a diver the other day. So yeah, no, no, he he, he, he tried to cut through two guys, and and <laughs> it looks like Kreider's you know skate kind of comes out a little bit at the end, but yeah. you know Petey the way he. Like the left skates out wide for him too. Like he widens out as he makes that move to try and pull it in between. Um, and listen, I'm, I'm not arguing one way or other. I just don't see it as quite as black and white as you guys do. And maybe there's, I'd love that explanation. Maybe the explanation is they were both entitled to that ice. If, and, if the Oilers are 200 feet away from their net and they take that penalty in the offensive zone, there's a trip. I'm like, okay. But they denied a scoring opportunity, which immediately turned into a goal-scoring opportunity. It was a huge, huge momentum swinger. At the very least, the officials have to acknowledge that in overtime, like you pointed it out earlier, that kind of play in a three-on-three, like it's going the other way, odd man rush. And you also pointed out you probably think the referees were like, oh, dear God, please don't score. Okay, Kander Miller. I mean, I, I think we've had our complaints about the officiating. It happened. I thought it was a missed call. Kev, you're not so sure. Uh, Laddie isn't so sure either. But at the end of the day, what I think is more important to talk about is the improvement we've seen from the Canucks, frankly, dramatic improvement we've seen from the Canucks from that one egg they laid in Philadelphia because it has gotten progressively better at five on five. And that was the one thing, even though the Canucks got off to like a decent start, obviously against the Edmonton Oilers, we were kind of looking at their underlying numbers and going, well, you know, maybe they can make the playoffs just being a a team that scores a lot on the power play and getting great goaltending. But I don't know if it's going to make them into anything more than maybe just a wild card team. But I think what we're seeing that's most impressive is at five on five, they are at times dominating games like they did against the St. Louis Blues and against the New York Rangers. I thought they were the better team at five on five. Yeah, I, I especially, I mean, listen, Blues 
second end of back-to-backs, and, you know, frankly, the Blues can't score. There's only one team in the Western Conference that scores less. Uh, interestingly enough, a lot of the conversation, because the Rangers practiced here on Friday, uh, around this New York team and from Peter, Peter Laviolette was their struggles at five-on-five five, um, to generate offense. And uh, so a little bit of a grain of salt there, but given it's back-to-back, the Rangers were arrested you expected that to be a tough night for the Canucks. They're full value for what they did. The underlying numbers haven't caught up to what we're seeing. Um, they're still not as flattering um, to the Canucks at five-on-five five, uh, as the narrative around them suggests. But again, a lot of that, I think. I think a lot of that was like one game in Edmonton. Or well, Philly, too, yeah. Uh, the Edmonton... Listen, Casey DeSmith came in with an expected 919 into that Rangers game last night, third highest in the National Hockey League. Um, that Edmonton game was busier in large part because of the stuff that was left around the net, and the Canucks are full value for clearing that stuff. But out of 39 chances on net, 15 created rebounds. That's why it looked worse than maybe it was in terms of shot quality. Uh, the big ones were the Philly and the Tampa game. They got caved in in those games. They were like five and a half expected goals against in Philly, and cl- I think it was close to five in Tampa Bay. And so those numbers are killing them overall, but you're right. Like, I think a lot of us were, here we go again after Philly. Um, you know, and, and an interesting, talking to Dave Tomlinson when the team got back, like just about how tough that first game back East can be in his experiences. And, you know, maybe we didn't cut him enough slack on that one because they have bounced back. They have been a lot better overall. And there are a ton of positives surrounding this team right now. If you look at their underlying numbers from their last four games, they're among the league leaders in expected goals. Right. And that's, that's all you can that's all you can ask for. I mean, those games early in the season, they happen. The one in Edmonton, the one in Philly and Tampa Bay. I guess my point, and I think it's bigger than the refereeing point, with all due respect to Halford, who's like taking that on as a hobby, and I appreciate it. Everyone needs hobbies. Like What we are looking for is improvement from this Canucks team at 5-on-5. Five five. And what I'm wondering is, why do you think that is? Like, what it, Who is responsible for all this improvement is it the Canucks best players or is it the fact that their bottom six is now contributing a little bit more I think you got to put those hands together and again I'll I'll give you a grain of salt on that one Nashville they generated about a goal and a half worth like you know like this isn't it's not quite as lopsided as that I think I think it's the dominance of their first pairing I think that second pairing with Mark Friedman and Ian Cole has you know obviously um had a lot of success early on here, and that allows you to play the third pairing in in a role they're best suited for. So everything starts out of the back end, right? Like they're not giving up a ton for sure in these last few games. Uh, and, and generating on the other end, like I think to a certain degree, yeah, the bottom six is contributing from a possession. Fit. Like you see like Nils Hoglander having shifts where, you know, he's, he's kind of doing all the things we expected him to do after everything we heard about, you know, the way he adjusted in the American Hockey League last year. He's having shifts where he's creating chaos in the offensive end. Uh, I think, you know, the underlying numbers still tell you they're a team that is going to need their high-end players to sort of outperform their expected um, and, re- and have that high-end skill to finish plays that don't, for all other teams, often lead to goals. And that's fine because they have those guys. You know, that you've got your Kuzmenkos and your um, Pedersons and guys that can do that, and even JT Miller. And, yeah, the power play is good, too. I think the one thing, too, is, like, we talked about this earlier in the year. Like, 
what does it look like with JT Miller and Brock Besser and Phil DiGiuseppe in, in sort of a hard shutdown minutes? Mm-hmm. And it's looked fine. It's yeah. looked good. Yep. Right? Like we talked earlier this year about, for all the talk about Brock scoring, like I'm not sure he gets enough credit for the player he's evolved into defensively. And, you know, JT Miller, like how we were this time last year, wasn't the narrative JT Miller can't be a center or a lot of people talked in those terms? Well, right now he's playing, you know, a really effective in tough. Tough minutes in matchup roles at times, effective in both ends, at five-on-five, five, contributing on the power play. Like There's a lot of things, after sort of moving the parts around a little bit early, they've discovered a mix right now that looks pretty good. Hey, Kev, how screwed are the Flames? Oh, I, uh, yeah, like I guess burning ring of fire screwed. They're, they're yeah, that was, and, and it's funny because, and this is why I add the grain of salt. This is, this is why early in the season, you know, having a stretch of games against other teams that, frankly, have really sucked at five-on-five five can sort of inflate your opinion of the team you're watching against them all the time. Like, I, like I'm not sure that was the get right. Like, how, how many of the questions the Oilers last night postgame were, is this the game that gets yeah. you right as a team? I'm like, have you looked at the opponent lately and you still gave up a couple? Like, they're... Man, like it's it's not pretty there at all, and I don't I don't know that I see a way out for them right now. Like, at, like there's not much working. There's nothing happening offensively. Like, what are they paying Huberto to do? What at this point? Like, it's I feel for Flames fans because obviously people in Vancouver know how how quickly a season can be over, and it kind of feels like it is for them. It, the difference, I just don't see answers right now. Like, yeah. I don't see them even That's close. The problem, right? Like, so, there's no one in that lineup that you're like, that guy will rescue them. So it was funny because after the game yesterday, Ryan Huska, the head coach, was asked about why he's optimistic because he said he was. They said, what reasons do you have to be optimistic? And he said, well, one... Our goalie, Jacob Markstrom, is playing at an elite level. Now, I, that's why I wanted to bring that up to you. Like, one, is that accurate? And then, two, if it is, how screwed are the Flames? Because they're doing this terrible start to the season with elite goaltending, quote-unquote, from Markstrom. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. He, his numbers, and I'm just pulling them up as we talk. That makes for great radio. Yeah, he's like, he's plus 2.5%. He's, right. Yeah, he's, he's had a really nice start. I'm a little bit surprised by that because there's been some goals that have what – what I've seen from him anecdotally, and I've watched about three or four games now, is some that I don't like going in, but then a ton of saves where you're like, wow, like how did he stop that? Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's having – you know, it's early in the year, and you'd have to weed out some, some small samples here. But, you know, just quickly adding a filter, he's having a top-10 season right now, and they still can't win. And interestingly enough, on the flip side of that, because they're going to – if the other things start to fall into place and, and Ryan Huska's um, optimism is properly placed, then what they're not going to be able to afford is to give away games when they don't have Jacob Markstrom in net. And that will be an interesting decision. It doesn't matter if they keep playing like this overall because, again, you can have a Vesna winner in there and it's not going to help. But – if they get on a roll, they got a decision to make because Dan Vladar is at the opposite end of that spectrum. Again, only two games and it's early, but like, you know, out of 69 goalies with enough stats to count, he's 68th right now in adjusted save percentage. And you've got this guy named Dustin Wolf, and I understood why they made the decision, asset protection. Um, you know, you couldn't afford to lose Vladar on waivers for nothing. And Wolf can go to the minors without, you know, any risk of being claimed. He doesn't require waivers. But... 
you're gonna if you if you actually get back in this and you need to win games, you're probably gonna want oh, one yeah. of the best goalies in at least minor pro hockey over the last two years, and not a guy who's floundering at the bottom of the league early this season. And so that's where their decision comes uh, in goal if they actually get going here. Kevin, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and you might have to pull up some information on this, but um, a couple cup contenders in the East, New Jersey and Carolina. I'm looking at their team save percentages. New Jersey's is 8.85, not great. Carolina's is 8.61. What's going on with those two teams? Yeah, I'm not, I can't come out here and tell you that it's, uh, oh, they're giving up more than you see to the naked eye, and the numbers don't tell you the full story, and you need the adjusted numbers. No, man, the goaltending hasn't been good enough in either place. Yeah. Um, you know, flat out. Uh, Akira Schmid is down there with Dan Vladar. Vitek Vanacek is, is more respectable in the 40s, just below expected. Uh, and I think that's, like, listen, I've said this before, Vanacek's in fantasy football. He's your sort of, you know, uh, what is it, high floor, floor, low ceiling guy. And he's a little bit below his floor right now, but he's typically a pretty consistent guy. So you can trust him to get back up, but they don't have a dominant goaltender. I, I know a lot of people see Schmid as the answer there, and... You know, I said it last year, I said it in the playoffs. I, I wasn't convinced and that he may require more time. And so there's a team that you know, might need to, to make a decision at some point. Carolina, you've got Ronta coming off, I think, a shutout in his last start after a really ugly beginning of the season for him. And you know, Freddie, Anderson's, Freddie Anderson's really struggled early. Like there's, and, and, and listen, I mean, those guys aren't young, about, right? They're 30, Ronta and Anderson are 34 years old. And they've been consistent to the point where you don't overly stress about this, like because right. you know it's odd for them to fall off unless like they've hit this like magic mark in the age curve at the exact same time and they both fall off a cliff again. You know, Ranta's like 59th out of 69 goalies in adjusted save percentage, but he's coming off a shutout. So we talk about recent form in the Canucks and how they've gotten better. I think there's an opportunity and a trust in both goalies there that they will. Freddie's obviously. De- dealt with a concussion issue after taking that shot off the mask. I think it was in San Jose uh, early in the game. And the other one there, like, here's one. Here's another one that I don't get. Uh, Peter Kachetkov. Everybody just, I know there's there's great saves that make the highlight reels. The numbers don't tell the same story. There's a level of inconsistency there in his game, a reliance on that athleticism that. Yeah, I'm not sold. And uh, early in this season, there's been nothing to prove me wrong. Uh, Kev, before we let you go, I suppose, even though the story of Saturday night was the officials, um, Laddie pointed out, and Andy actually as well, that uh, we need to have a moment of appreciation for Igor Shesterkin. He's very good at what he does. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, that, was, uh, that, was, that was goalie porn for, for, for those of us that, that enjoy such things. Um, a lot of equipment for that. <laughs> it's, I'm just going to leave that. Just keep going. Um, the uh, the way he moves uh, is incredible. You saw this. You saw you saw the upside, and you, like you saw the save on. Like what a move by Kuzmenko through the slot with the toe drag, and then like the patience that that Shishterkin has, and then the quickness he has to, with with the glove and the desperation moment. Like he's the full package. And uh, I wish we could have had a conversation going into the game because there are some things that if you point out to people to watch for, and then they see it in a game, it's like. You know, it's kind of like the mushroom cloud going off over the head. Like, watch him off the rush. And this is tough. You can't do it on TV because they never show us this angle. Like, t- off the rush, he'll sit back in his crease looking super casual like he's having a smoke waiting for the play to get to him. 
and teams will start shooting at the blue line thinking they've caught him off guard. Like it's like he baits teams to do it. It's hilarious. Like there are things he does that are just next level. Uh, I think Ian Clark put it best for me for a piece I wrote last year about him. Uh, he's like a hovercraft out there. He skates as well from his knees when he's on his knees um, out of a butterfly, as a lot of guys, even in the NHL, do up on their skates. It's uh, it's it's fun to watch. And if the Rangers can get continue to get that first year Peter Laviolette defensive bump, because everywhere he goes, his teams are a wagon defensively, especially in the first year. And that power play continues clicking, or they figure out their five on five offense. Um, I'd have them as as a definite sleeper to come out of the East. Kev, this was great as always. Thanks for doing it. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks, Kevin Woodley, NHL.com and Ingle Magazine here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, let's do a quick reset here, Bruff, because we need to let people know what's going to happen in the final half hour of the program. So we're obviously going to do what we learn, as we always do. Because we got a, some good ones. And because it's a Monday, we got 72 hours of sports to cover. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? What's more... We're going to be giving away a pair of tickets to see Kiss. Yes, Kiss. Those guys. They're still playing music. They're still touring. Wednesday, November 8th at Rogers Arena is the date of the show. Every day this week, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets. Today, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to the best what we learned submission. Hashtag it WWL. Add a ticket emoji into the text. That's an important part of this. Text it to 650-650. That is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It will enter you. And remember, it's a contest, not a draw. Mm-hmm. You have to put in some good content, or at the very least, readable content. So spelling counts. Does anyone have any what we learns? Laddie has one. He's got a couple. Well, this one we can expand on as well as we, okay. we go on. There was uh, maybe the, the best anthem that I've heard at a sporting event in the history of sporting <laughs> I events. I know where this is going. Uh <laughs> It's actually better than I thought he'd be. Let me preface it by saying that. Mm. It's Flava Flav singing at the Milwaukee Bucks game for some reason. I don't know why he was there, but he did the anthem before the game. And if you've ever wondered what Flava Flav's singing voice sounds like, here you go. problem is that it takes about three and a half minutes to get through the whole anthem. I saw the crowd reaction afterwards. I would I would call it a tepid ovation. So it was very similar to, uh, obviously, a famous Simpsons reference that we know and love. is a famous the anthem by Bleeding Gums Murphy. Say, can you, I'm asking, can you see? So we all know that I one. Said, can you? That was a good one. <laughs> Shoot, I'm popping in the air. And then there's, of course, the Carl Lewis. Oh, anthem. I knew. And the Rockets. Red Rockets. Uh oh. I'll make up for it now. For oh, the land of the free. 
You know it's going to be a good anthem when they go, uh-oh, in the, the middle of it. The Carl Lewis yeah, one is started too high. That's what you want your anthem singer to the, say in the middle uh-oh. of the performance. The, uh-oh. The Carl Lewis one will always remain at the zenith of terrible anthems because he goes out of his way to say, I'll make up for it, and then promptly botches the anthem again. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was no making up worse. Yeah, it was no making up. <laughs> so Flavor Flav could have done a lot worse, I feel like. Than his also, answer. and it's uh, it's unfortunate because we it, it's a visual gag more than anyone, but watching the NBA players try and hide their laughter at the 2018 All-Star game when Fergie's doing whatever it is she did to the there was like some sort of beat poetry involved and it was but watching them try to holding towels over their face. Yeah, and yeah. Draymond Green like literally biting his tongue so that he doesn't laugh. It's it's a great visual. Uh, guess how old Flavor Flav is? 59. Sixty-five. He is sixty-four. Oh, it was one year off. Sixty-four oh. years old. Damn. Oh, because he was wearing still ticking too. Nine one one is still a joke. Yeah. Still got the pipes. <laughs> timely reference from Jason Ruff here. Because he was wearing a number fifty nine jersey. And I was trying to, I, maybe there's a significance that I'm missing. I just assumed it was his age. I will say, I was ex- <laughs> <laughs> just wearing his age. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm 59 years remember, old. That's how he remembers. Yeah. I was rem- I was expecting it to be a lot worse. Like, it took way too long. But at least he sang in key, which is, you know, more than most people can do. So it could have been far worse. If you're wondering why, how did this happen? It's a lifelong goal of his. He said he always wanted uh-huh. to sing the national anthem well, before he did an it. event. And he did yeah. it. Good on him. Remember his show, the morning Flavor show, the, Love? The CBS. Yeah, I do remember that. Everyone remembers yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> Um, the more the CBS Morning Show mm-hmm. was, they were deriding poor Flava Flav. Right, they were mocking his efforts. I say, mm-hmm. good on him. Do you think I, he I was like that he was hundred percent going for it as good as he possibly yes, could? Or for sure, there was like I felt like he was. I felt like there was some game management going on within his anthem. Like he's like. I'm trying my best here, but then it's not sounding 100%, so I kind of have to remind people, like, I'm Flavor Flav, right? Like, it's not Well, that's why he was courtesy. He had a lot of courtesy. He was wearing the clock around his neck as per yeah. usual so people could see how long it took. Did he wear the clock? Yeah. Does he always wear it? He, he has neck problems. He sleeps with that clock. He <laughs> takes showers. He like, after a while, you're hauling around these really quite heavy clocks. Yeah, his chiropractor is right? very rich. Right. He said clocks. Right on cue, there's a Flavor Flav clock text that came in. He's got a closet the, full of them. <laughs> Different the clocks for every mood. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.